Oh, I like that. I don't know. I got a thing for songs that are normally, you know, happy and upbeat and whatnot, and you slow them down and you make them just a little creepy. Uh, that scratches where I itch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Radlich and Broadcasting Network's Blockbuster Review Season series. Series, not just a season. Whole series. Whenever there's a blockbuster, we're here to review it for you. I'm Robert Winfrey, and tonight Mark Radlich and I are breaking down the latest offering from The Rock. Big budget disaster movie, San Andreas. Uh, it's got everything. Earthquakes, tsunamis, Paul Giamatti, The Rock, wet in a tight t-shirt. I mean, come on, what do you want? It's The Rock. He always shows off his impressive physique. And God help me, if I had one like his, you darn sure better believe I would too. All right, before I go too much further, let's go ahead and bring on the supreme overlord of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, spiritual and literal patriarch in many ways, all the way from his locale in Florida, and the day after his birthday, everyone out there wish Mark a happy birthday. Mark Radlich, how the heck are you? So who is singing that? Is that, uh, um, that, is that, uh, is... I will find out one second. How do you not know? Because it's some contemporary, like, pop singer who I could not possibly care less about. What is Lana Del Rey? Because I kept hearing, uh, it's uh, Delia DeFrance. Who? Uh, Robert Koch and Delia de France. D E L H I A D de France. It's, it's and, beautiful. Yeah. But it, it definitely reminded me of Lana Del Rey. You know, I kept hearing the uh, the, the uh, what you call it from Maleficent that we did last yeah, year. I, I love but that I, one too. The, the her version of "I Walked with You Once Upon a Dream." Again, yeah, you take yeah. something happy and upbeat, you slow it down, you make it a little creepy. It's awesome. You know what's also good? Um, Lana Del Rey singing the theme from. Um, the Great Gatsby, uh, when we were young and beautiful. Oh my God, very haunting. Absolutely outstanding. And this is, you know, our discussion of hauntingly beautiful music musicians and whatnot. <laughs> uh. Let me uh, let me also take us off track by saying this. You know, when I initially uh, came up with this, it was okay. You know, it was May first. You know, we hit the ground running with the summer blockbusters. We go May through August, and then you know maybe we hit the ones around. Uh, around Christmas time, because that's when The Hobbit was out and all of that. But, you know, not to go insane, not to go crazy. The object was not to break both of our banks by seeing every movie that was out there. Otherwise, I'd be making you go see Dope this weekend, or whenever weekend it comes out. Uh, um, I would drive my sorry pickup down to Florida and kick you in the nuts. <laughs> so I will wait for like I will wait for Dope to come out on, you know, on cable. That's fine. But, you know, the point of this is just hit the big budget ones. Do you realize that this is going to start again next February? Like we've all we're already pushing it by starting it in March this year with uh, Cinderella. Next year we start even sooner. We start February. Yep. Like it's 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 not even so much the blockbuster season as it's just going to be the Radlich and Broadcasting blockbuster review period. Because yep. next year Deadpool comes out. Ryan Reynolds. Reprises his role as Deadpool. Oh, screw that movie. I believe it's called Deadpool the Apology. Um, and uh, I believe and it's called, Hey, my character is horrifyingly overexposed. Anyone who spends more than ten seconds actually familiarizing themselves with it winds up hating themselves for reading it. <laughs> Jesse Starcher of uh, Source Material asked me if I was going to read the Deadpool that uh, retcons him into the original Secret Wars, and on principle, I will not read that that book. I don't want to. I don't care about Deadpool as it is as a character. I'll go see the movie, but I, I and review it with you because it's a it's a big summer. Com- it, it's a big sorry, I can't even say summer. It's a big comic book movie, but uh, I have no interest in him as a comic book character as such. So um, follow that up by you saying know. you have no interest in Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Oh, if I say that, Gavin Napier may find out about it and punch me in the, right in the Glavin. So, uh, are we supposed to be talking? Are we supposed to be talking about Andreas? Yeah. Well, all right. Let's go ahead and do this. Um, I, I don't know if you personally or anyone out there listening also listened to my uh, show. Everyone loves a bad guy. Last Friday, I had Jason Teasley on, and we talked about disaster movies. Uh, and you know. Bat, you know, natural disasters, the movies in general, their lack of villains by and large. You know, fun little discussion. Some of our favorite movies got brought up and whatnot. 
I but I don't... You, missed, you missed a good one. You missed an obvious one. One did I miss? Gravity. I haven't seen Gravity. Neither have I. But the movie fights people tell me it's the, one of the best disaster films ever. So there you go. Well, I don't think I can watch that movie seriously because I read Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, deconstruction of everything wrong with it. <laughs> oh, awesome. That sounds like a fun night at the office. It's all on Twitter and whatnot. He just points out, okay, so you've got all these things that are apparently within eyesight of each other, despite the fact that they're, you know, thousands of miles apart in elevation and you know, in geosynchronous orbit. The scene where Clooney floats off could be remedied extraordinarily easily by her grabbing the tether and pulling her to- him towards her because, hey, zero gravity, it's space. Uh, <laughs> why an astronaut explains to a medical doctor the effects of oxygen deprivation makes no sense to me. <laughs> Anyway, but I I arrived at the conclusion that disaster movies aren't that difficult. You just have to not be stupid. All you need is a reasonably plausible scenario. Not, again, not foolproof necessarily, but reasonably plausible. You need enough science to convince the viewer that, to keep them immersed in the movie. You need capable actors, preferably who look good, on screen, and you need to just, you know, avoid being stupid. That's all you have to do for a big-budget disaster movie. That's really it. It speaks to the ineptitude of so many people that there are only a handful of truly good or enjoyable disaster movies. Because Michael Bay could make an enjoyable disaster movie. And don't get me wrong, Armageddon, scientifically the most inaccurate movie ever committed to film. Apart from maybe 2012. I'm not sure about that one. But, one of the two. It's still enjoyable. And that's, before we get into the minutia of it and the details, that's the best thing and the only real thing I needed out of San Andreas. I needed to be entertained and I needed to enjoy it. And... Outside of two sequences, by and large, I did. Two things that made me roll my eyes. And one that the more I think about it, the less it makes sense. But we'll get to those in a minute. But I saw it, and I enjoyed it. I mean, again, I'm not going to sit here and say it's objectively great. There's good and there's bad, and we'll get into details. But I was at least entertained by this. And I was, and again, I'm happy about that. That's really all I was after. So, Mark, uh, just uh, broad strokes. Were you entertained? Yes and no. Um, yes, I was entertained by the movie. Unfortunately, and I'm not going to go off too. I'm not going to go too far off on a tangent. Um, but as I've said many times throughout many different podcasts, uh, I watched the first tower collapse after it was hit by uh, a jet airliner on 9/11. I only saw the one tower collapse in real life. By the, that point, I by the time the second one collapsed, I was trying to get the hell out of Brooklyn. Um, and I'm not... You're I, actually in New York? Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, <laughs> there I am saying it many times as I said it. Yes, for those of you like Robert who didn't know this, I was working in Brooklyn in 2011, and I was working for a foster care, foster care agency, and... I'm assuming uh, you mean 2001, of, not 2011. Sorry, 2000, 2001, yes. Sorry. Um, 2001. You know what? 11, 1. Uh, yeah, I got it. I got so, it. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Keep going. So, anyway. Um, so, where... Uh, so, by the time I got to work, uh, both planes had already hit the towers. And a bunch of us left, and we walked a few blocks to the pier. Now, the pier overlooks uh, the river, and then you can see downtown New York. It's, like, right near your, your eyesight. So, we watched as the two buildings... Um, burned from the, you know from the jet fuel, and I was standing on the pier when the building finally exploded and collapsed. Um, and I don't, and it would be a bridge too far to say that I have you know, trauma from it. I don't, but it still, it still pings a part of my psyche whenever I see buildings collapse. And I felt like I was watching two hours of watching buildings collapse. Um, it's not inaccurate. So, as an aside, aside, my father 
hated Fury Road. <laughs> it was the stupidest thing he's ever seen. Meanwhile, um, so yeah, so it's two hours of buildings collapsing, and it was very difficult for me to, to watch because I kept my my brain kept going back to the first tower exploding, um, which is which is not a great way to spend a Friday night. However, there's enough of the movie to anchor me back to the fact that I'm watching a fictional movie, and it is fictional, folks. There are apparently many people out there who think that the San Andreas fault line is going to have this massive earthquake. They've had to reassure people that the science in the movie is absolute poppycock. But um, yeah, besides all that, you know, did I enjoy The Rock's performance? Yes. Did I enjoy um, Alexandra Daddario's chest, which was a featured part of the movie? Not like in a Michael Bay way. You know, it was very. It, it was subtle. Boy, her boobs bounced all over that, well, all over the, the screen. So I enjoyed that. Have you seen um, True Detective? I have to ask this uh, when it comes to that. Have you seen True Detective? No. Do so. Is he in it? Is she? Yes. Is she in that movie? Is she in the show? Okay. Well, yes. I'm gonna start watching it then. <laughs> what a, what well, a great like, True Detective has uh, it's, their second season is coming up, but the first season is entirely each season is entirely self-contained. So just. Again, like the first two episodes, I think that's really all you need as far as that goes. But, um, but to, to to finish up, you know, Paul Giamatti, I liked. I mean, I really I enjoyed the movie. It's just one of those. It's, it's hard to watch buildings fall one right after another, after another, after another, and not feel like I was right back there, you know, uh, fourteen years ago. So that's it. All right, and you know, okay, we're all shaped by our individual experiences and. Uh, I imagine that would, you know things like that probably trigger specific memories for a lot of people. So uh, getting into the about, deep, I told about my up experience, right? <laughs> Watching the first ten minutes of Up. Yes, I I heard the uh, <laughs> podcast where you and Sean discussed the uh, Toy Story trilogy, and that came up there. So, so yes, certain. Certain scenes in the movies can elicit certain uh, memories and responses. Yes, it can. Some positive, some not so positive. <laughs> uh, speaking of the, you know, kind of the specifics here again, the science is, you say dubious at best. Look, the San Andreas Fault constantly shifts. The notion of a mega quake that would separate, you know, that area from Los Angeles to San Francisco from the mainland of California is, uh, it's just silly. I mean, look, as it stands, that segment of, uh, that particular segment of land is actually moving north at the rate of about, uh, what was it? Uh, it moves about as far, it moves about at the same rate your fingernails grow. So, you know, a thousand years from now or so, San Francisco will actually be part of Alaska. Uh, just so all the people there can start getting prepared for that. But, yeah, again, they tend to do enough of the science to keep you immersed in the movie, and that's really all you ask for. You don't do anything stupid. Yes, objectively, no, the, never, will never happen. Not like that. But you do enough to keep me involved in the movie, and I'm I'm a happy camper. Uh, I, I have to get this out of the way, because this is one of the scenes that I couldn't stand. The opening ten minutes. That whole opening, the opening sequence with the stupid teenager driving and she falls down the cliff in her car. <laughs> that was, it, it, that was the dumbest thing in this entire movie. I okay. mean, now are you talking about the the, re- the rescue sequence that introduces the rock, or the fact that she was tweeting while driving on a windy highway with, uh, you know, and, and nearly going over the cliff. No, no, no. There are stupid people that do that. I, I accept the stupidity of humanity and its representation on film I can't fault because people are stupid. I mean, the the actual scene where she crashes, it is the most blatant use of CGI in the entire movie. It is... No, no, and considering all the other stuff they throw at you, when I watched that sequence, I was taken out of the movie like, really? Your car is going to flip perfectly, end over end. 
You're going to bounce off the airbag. You're not going to break bones. You're not going to lose consciousness. No, no, you're okay with falling through a CGI'd car. No, piss off. That was the that, only that, part that, of the movie where I was like, how are you not dead? I mean, I mean, it didn't take me out of the movie as such where, like, I was, you know, not even because of the CGI. That's your that's your thing. My, my thing was, how are you not dead? <laughs> it's just yeah, she, it, down that and poor little blonde her. girl is dead. Yeah, she is broken in half. <laughs> she is bled out. You know, but the the, the, the actual so rescue dead. sequence uh, bothered me because you can't do that in a helicopter. And I I know you cannot do that in a helicopter. Okay, but hang on, hang on. I I don't. Okay? I I am not as smart as you. <laughs> I am, I don't know how helicopters work other than they go up and they go down. Okay? So I I, I don't care about I don't care about science. I I care about movie craft. And other than there are some certain things I watch, you know, and, I, and, even, and, I, and even I, who's an idiot, goes, no, <laughs> that doesn't seem real. And that was one of them. But I forgave it because overall the sequence was intense. Overall, it, it was a great introduction to The Rock and what he does and what he's about. You know, you know they're, doing the new, they're, they're doing the whole news feature with the guys. You know, and then there's a rock who's very subtle about the whole thing. He's just like, I just go where they tell me to go. You know, he's not trying to be a hero. And the fact, his whole demeanor, his, his, you know, he's not just being understated for the sake of being understated. That, that there's payoff later on in the movie. The man's carrying around tremendous guilt for him having, for having believed he got his daughter killed. So from a movie craft point of view, I was okay with all of that. Now, I mean, that's fine. You know, you, you want to pick apart the, C, the, the CGI. Oh, no, no, look, uh, you're absolutely correct. But, but, but for, as far as introducing us to our hero character, nothing wrong with it. No, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, again, the intensity is fine. Uh, the action is well-framed. You can tell most of that was done with actual set pieces instead of CGI, and that adds tremendously to it. Uh, very few complaints from, you know, a narrative standpoint. It's a fine introduction to the character. It sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It's just some of the you know technical details that kind of go that you know are like assaulting my brain with yes, no, making me believe this could happen. But uh, thankfully, you know, ironically enough, the rest of the movie kind of again they don't insult my intelligence anymore quite the same way they do there. Well, there is one thing that again I think about it and it makes less and less sense. Sense each time I consider it, but well, I get a great you know, introduction what, to The Rock. You know what? Actually, one of the thing I like most about this movie: none of the characters played towards their type. Everyone played against type. You're, you know, The Rock wasn't like overly bombastic. You know, in you know, I and actually people have complained about this, but I thought it was great that The Rock was a very understated hero. You know, and single-mindedly wants to save the one daughter he has left, which we can, we can talk about how critics are having a real problem with this, but I digress. Um, I like the fact that The Rock wasn't, you know, Captain America in this. He wasn't The Rock. Uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson played a character carrying guilt who, you know, is, is just worried about one thing, saving his family in a time of crisis. And he wasn't like that. And he wasn't a huge retard about it. I like the fact that the wife wasn't a bitch. You know, like this wasn't yeah. some sort of like, horrible divorce that they were in, you know, that they were that everyone was sort of struggling with the tragedy of having lost this daughter. And and that was sort of and she says it in the movie. She says, this is why I didn't stick around. I liked all that because you, you take away the death of the daughter. The two of them are still together. Um, yeah. I even liked uh, the guy who played Mr. Fantastic, whose name I can't pronounce. Um, uh, you know, Gru- I go with Grufford. Ian Grufford. OK, that's probably uh, wrong. Uh, that's what we're going with. Uh, Dog McGruff, he uh, he's great. You know, he he's not a dick. He's not trying to you know supplant uh, Dwayne Johnson's character he in any way. He only becomes quite quickly, and I was annoyed. He, no, no, no. That. He only becomes terrible when things go down, and then he's summarily punished for it. So good job there. You know, like it's like you know when before the earthquake starts, everyone's a normal human being. No one's yeah. terrible. Even the daughter. As soon as I had the daughter in the bikini, and like, can you bring my bike? And I'm like, oh, not another one of these just in, in, entitled bitches 
who's going to drive, who, who I'm going to wish the Rock would throw out of a helicopter instead of try to save her. And she wasn't that way at all. She was smart. Her character had purpose. She was, you know, she wasn't just waiting to be rescued. I liked her. I liked her portrayal. She was playing against type. So your your three made. Oh, and, and Paul Giamatti was another person who, you know, he's well, playing he's directly playing. into his type. Let's be perfectly clear about but that. He, does a job of it, he did a better job of it than I've seen other people play the scientist character because they either act like whack jobs. Like here, here, here's a good example: Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. You know, who just acts like a nutcase. You know, no wonder no one believes him, um, even when he's got the right answers. And I won't do the, you know, you know, height. Hey, that gives me an idea. Um, let's. No, 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 no. Uh, but, but Paul Giamatti actually, I thought, handled the material well. You know, and came, you know, and honestly, uh, and considering he, he had some of the worst dialogue to deliver. The fact that he made well, it at least palatable. Now, I mean, the dialogue I, in this movie is almost universally awful. I didn't get that, honestly. I didn't. It didn't bother me. Um, I don't remember, and I was looking for it because I had heard like the dialogue in the movie was was painfully bad, and I don't know. I a lot of it's the Rock and the wife kind of going back and forth about you know this and that. Uh, a lot of it's the the, da- the daughter trying to figure out where's the best place to find her dad or for her dad to find her. Uh, and the stuff with the scientist, I don't know. I didn't think Paul Giamatti came across as uh, forced or anything. I, again, I, I like everyone's... It's to his infinite credit that he took awful dialogue and can made it me, accessible. Can you, can you give me an example of what was awful? Because I honestly did not register with me. Oh, he's sitting there in the middle of an earthquake and actually has to utter the words, pray for the people of San Francisco. I thought that was dramatic. It was terrible. Uh, the, oh, okay, he's bad. Oh, God. The, the TV reporter, her dialogue is... Uh, again, I would actually... I remember watching the movie and thinking, man, this dialogue is, you know, crappy, pretty much from top to bottom. Uh, thankfully, my mind promptly emptied itself of that particular bunch of crap. So it's not, I, I couldn't give you too many specific examples because I d- deliberately didn't remember it. Okay. I honestly, to get, I know one of the, I know the dialogue is one of the things that people criticize about the movie. They criticize that and they, you know, and the, and Dwayne Johnson got named the, the most selfish rescue person in the history of, uh, of disasters, which I wanted, I definitely want to talk about. But yeah, honestly, the dialogue didn't bother me. I thought everyone played against type, including Paul Giamatti. I didn't think he played like the crazy scientist. Like you know, I think he was like, I think he conveniently figures out how to predict earthquakes and immediately figures out that they're going to have the worst one in history and it's like trying to deal with that. Okay, uh, I'm with you there. And uh, like I said, I personal stuff aside. I and I didn't find a whole lot of flaws with the movie, you know. Um, I, I mean, it's a lot of buildings falling down, and if you take that out of it, there's not a whole lot left. It's about a it's about a dad trying to find his trying to find the one daughter he's got left. It's a little thin, but then again, it, the plot isn't what's supposed to carry this movie. It's the no. visual. Well, I mean, I want to talk to bring this up a little bit because you mentioned, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson being very understated with this, and I think the man gets a bad rap as far as his legitimate acting abilities go because, I mean, he plays a lot of you know action heroes or caricatures, but there are a few roles in uh, roles in his filmography that are more subtle, that are more understated, and. I mean, again, he's primarily an action star and whatnot, but the man can act. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the scene where he and uh, you know Carla are talking about you know what happened, why things kind of fell apart. Yeah, you know, I bought into him grieving at that moment. You know, he's a again, it gets overlooked at times because of the material he chooses. And I mean, and to be fair, the man knows what you know, what side of you know where his, where his money comes from, and it's action movies, so he's not going to go out of his way to try but and I'll, find an Oscar-worthy role or anything. Let, me, let but, me jump in here. He was taking a chance with this one because if you if you look closely at this movie, he's doing more dialogue than he's doing action. 
The action is the buildings falling down, you know, and the earthquake sequences. His role in the movie is to fly a helicopter and talk. Yeah. And uh, a that's lot of not that. why people hire him. They hire him to flex muscle and to punch people in the face. And he does none of that in this movie. None of it. You know, the, it, the only time he gets physical, you know, is the very beginning of the movie uh, with the rescue. And then at the very end where he's trying to rescue his daughter uh, from drowning. And then, you know, spoiler alert. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, you know, and then has to bring her back to life via uh, CPR. And other than that, he's, it's, this was not a physical role for him. The whole thing was dialogue and being able to act with your face. And oh, no, his ability to emote with his eyes is severely underrated. Uh, I don't know if yeah, no, you or anyone else out there has seen Faster, but if you haven't. Watch it and just watch the way he changes as a character from the beginning to the end, just with what he does with his face. It's uh, really interesting. I wonder if part of the reason why people are criticizing this movie, though, is they expected The Rock to fight the earthquake. Uh, probably. <laughs> because as I'm saying, you know, this is a lot of The Rock just talking. I don't think people went into this, you know, I think they wanted The Rock to, to, to rise slowly out of a pool of water with, you know, with it dripping off his flexing muscles. You know, I think they wanted to see him, you know, do the rock bottom on an earthquake of some sort. You know, I, I honestly don't think they wanted to hear the rock talk. And when that's the entire movie just about it, a building falls down, the rock talks. Another building falls down, the rock talks again. And that's it. That's the movie. And occasionally, um, Alexander Daddario's boobs bounce. And... <laughs> She's not even wearing like like hot clothing. She's wearing like normal clothes, but somehow or other they got her boobs to you know to shake like Chris Masters. For those of you that are uh, wrestling fans, if you're not a wrestling fan, think uh, think a guy just constantly moving his pecs. Anywho, who is also juiced um, to the gills? Yes, he was. Um, that's why that. But works. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that I think that's it. It's, it's, this is kind of like you know. Uh, like the Age of Ultron and in some other movies where there was an expectation, the movie was different than the expectation, and therefore people are are criticizing it harshly, which, I, which again, I say is unfair. Judge the movie based on what it is, not what you thought it would be. Um, well, and you know, unless you unless you went into something like Fury Road and expecting it, to, you know, expecting it to be a love story. And eh, you can in argue case, it is, but I was gonna say, in which case you should probably consider a lobotomy, but you know. Or I've already had one. Yes. So are we going to tell you these people, like, you know, are we actually <laughs> going to do a, a, a explain the plot of this thing or what? Uh, sure. I think you summed <laughs> it up pretty adequately beforehand, but no, The Rock <laughs> is a helicopter uh, pilot for the uh, Fire and Rescue Agency or some kind of, uh, the uh, yes, yeah, the L.A. Fire Department that he works for, I believe. Los Angeles Fire and Rescue. Okay, thank you. And his marriage is falling apart because of the death of his of one of his two daughters. Uh, his remaining daughter winds up trapped in San Francisco when the San Andreas Fault decides to completely separate from it. Would just, it would separate the Pacific tectonic plate from the North American tectonic plate, and consequently, all hell breaks loose. And it's him trying to rescue her. Did I miss anything? No. <laughs> That's it. That's the movie. It starts off in Los Angeles, and um, it's a race. The Rock is in a race uh, in a race against an earthquake to save his daughter from utter destruction. By the way, another way to uh, another way to sum up this movie: this is planes, trains, and automobiles with earthquakes. Uh, you know, I actually haven't seen planes, trains, and automobiles. Well, what I mean by no. that is he starts in a helicopter, then they're in a truck, then they're in a boat. <laughs> this, is, this is The Rock driving a lot of things. Well, he is The Rock. It's in his contract. He has to drive something. Well, Preferably something gets large. Spare, he certainly gets a spare share in this one. He drove everything but a fucking tank in this one. Ah, uh, if only he'd driven a tank. That would have been so awesome. Right. So... Unless you've got an agenda here, I got to talk about the criticisms of of, 
of his character. So, and I've, and I've actually read this on Rotten Tomatoes. People are calling him selfish. People are saying that the character is, you know, it's not believable what he did and all this other stuff. Let me, let me set this up. He's flying a helicopter when the earthquakes hit. But he's not just doing a mission. He's not, he's not on patrol. He was taking the helicopter in for repairs. So he's got, he's got a bum helicopter that he's just flying to, to get repaired when the earthquakes hit. Now, here's a man traumatized by the death of one daughter, and he's in a helicopter, and he's just thinking, save my family. I don't know what's A, unbelievable about that, or B, selfish. It seems like it would be psychologically on point. And well, again, it I will this- say that it's selfish for a very specific reason. He's, again, a safety – he's a fire and rescue, you know, uh, what, captain or something? He's what a high-ranking – Whoa, 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 what was he supposed to do? Save everyone in Los Angeles with the fucking one helicopter? He was supposed to return to his base for proper deployment in the area he is sworn to protect, to, you know, serve. Had That's it, what you're supposed had to do. Know that, had Hang he on. know at that time hadn't been, you know, hadn't been uh, dropped into the, into the earth? Look, uh, I'm just saying, that's what you're supposed to do. Now, I'm not... Okay. Uh, I, I'm not... Now, on to your point, it makes sense for the character who is all of a sudden, you know, borderline, you know, uh, in shock over this and becomes fixated. It makes sense. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't make sense. But for people saying that he, you know, he's clearly breaking several different kinds of protocol, and to call it selfish, I can understand the objective point because. You ask any EMT, any first responder of any kind like that, you don't go, for want of a better phrase, into business for yourself. You can't, or the whole system, or the whole thing kind of falls apart. The world is ending. You're not going to think appropriately, even if you're a trained fire and rescue paramedic. Which is why it didn't bother me that much. Uh, I, I, my point is, I understand the criticism. I can see the point. I disagree, and I would agree with you that it makes sense for the character to behave the way he did. Okay. So, I, it, it irritated me when I read that. It, it, that irritated me, and then there was a, there was a couple of other things that, um, which again make me believe people expected the Rock to fight the earthquake. Um, but you know, <laughs> too much acting in this movie. More buildings falling, please. I just you know it's. The whole thing, you talked about this on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, uh, which you can look back in the archives and check it out. A great show with him and Jason Teasley, who is a firefighter paramedic, by the way, um, in West Virginia, where only five people live. In any case. More than five people uh, live in the state of West Virginia. Ten people. Got it. Anywho. um, More than ten people live in the state of West Virginia. That's not the point. The, the I have to correct that. your bogusness for people. If I have learned one thing, it's that people aren't very bright. And bear in mind all the people out there listening. I don't necessarily mean that as an insult. But we live in a world where there are people who think Titanic was purely fiction and that Leonardo DiCaprio actually died. All right, let's... So, so again, I have learned that you have to correct most of those clearly facetious statements because there are people out there who will take them seriously. You're right. Nobody lives in West Virginia. Now let's move on. Um, More than no one lives in West Virginia. (laughs) I would say very few people live there voluntarily. It's just coal mines and canaries. That's it. That's all that's that's in West Virginia. Once that that one senator died that everything's named after him, that was it. That was the end of it. They'll eventually, uh, you know, meld it back in with Virginia and admit, you know, Guam or Puerto Rico is the 50th state, just to keep parity. <laughs> so or when they cut so California in half. There you go. In any case, where was I going with this? Oh, uh, you, the, the trick with these disaster movies is, you know, you have this thing that's affecting, you know, wide sw- uh, swaths of people, right? You know, an earthquake, a tornado a hurricane, a tsunami, uh, whatever. And then you have to then uh, pare down and find a handful of people involved in the disaster to focus on. And if those people are not likable, your movie sucks. It, it just it won't work. You can't have a movie carried solely by 
solely by the disaster scenes because all you because all you've got then is is a disaster demo reel, and that's not a movie. You have to get characters that people are involved in. You have to obviously put them in harm's way and then have them um, save themselves or get saved or you know however you want to do it. But you have to have people you have to have people in the movie that they care about. And so this one focused on a family, and I thought that was the best way, best best way to do it. Um, one of the criticisms of this movie was again it was like you know you have these huge earthquakes but nobody seems to die, and I'm like no. Uh, I don't understand. wait a minute here. I don't Look, understand what people want. What people who wanted in the here. world thought no one died in this movie? Was were people expecting them to do a Terminator shot? Where they just you know pan left to right and it's just skulls everywhere. I don't think people were dying left they, and right they, in this movie. They specific. You look at the number of people who got hit by that tsunami. Not. I bear in mind, not just like you know the boats that got capsized by trying to get over it and whatnot, but the people who were still on the ground getting hit by it. Millions of people died in this movie, ladies and gentlemen. You're dealing with one of the most densely populated stretches of, you know, anywhere. Uh, the building that uh, The Rock saves Carla Gugino from. Plenty of people died in that. It, what, what, what? Do you want... I feel like this is an invalid complaint. It's like, I wish to see death on screen, and the, viol- the more violent and more graphic, the better. Well, fine, it's a PG-13 movie. Let's all appropriately adjust our expectations here, people. When I complain about Age of Ultron featuring no on-screen deaths, that's because they went out of their way to make it look like no one, including the freaking town dog, actually died when Ultron raised a giant section of land and proceeded to drop it into the Earth. Here, people died. You knew people died. I mean, again, it's just... I would have been perfectly... My complaint about Age of Ultron and the severe lack of casualties would have been absolutely not there if, you know, again, the destruction sequences in that movie were portrayed the same way they were in this movie. I, it becomes logical at that point, okay, people died. There's gravity to this. Okay, uh, I want to read you... I've got to give you a review. This, this, this got a, uh, a rotten review on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to read you two lines from this, and this is why I'm going, uh, why I brought this up. A bloodless and boneheaded orgy of computer-generated destruction, San Andreas is the latest work from visionary director behind Cats and Dogs, The Revenge of Kitty Galore. And another line, campy but never campy enough and far too numbingly artificial to ever draw up any real suspense or sense of awe, the film has a scale that's squandered on, on visual witnesses. Witlessness, sorry, witlessness. I have no idea what this person's talking about, and I don't think that's a very fair review at all. You know, I am perfectly content with you know my role doing this as kind of an amateur critic. I like looking at things critically. I like examining them. I like figuring out you know what where they went wrong, where they could be improved upon. What I like, what I didn't like, separating my personal opinions from the objectivity of it, all that stuff. I feel like we live in a society where critics, by and large, feel compelled to heap effusive abuse in the most you know, flowery language possible in an effort to get attention. I feel like that's the, the idea, state of criticism and critiques no, in our you're, society. No, I think you're right. I, I mean, first of all, let, let, let's be fair here. This also isn't supposed to be an art house movie. You know, this is this is not. Uh, uh, yeah. God, what was the name of the French movie that everyone was at? Uh, Annabelle or whatever the hell the name of the thing was. Amelie. This is not Amelie, folks. This is not. This is not the uh, the one the one independent film shot in Afghanistan about the girl. Uh, you know about the girl who has to dress as a boy, or whatever, vice versa, whatever the hell it was. Um, this is what's bad when I'm trying to draw references, and again, I have no memory of what it is I'm talking about. Um, well, it's again, you have to have proper expectations for things. Well, that's, that's my point. This, this is not an, this is not an indie think piece. This was a disaster movie, and people and people are criticizing it as if to say, "Well, okay, it should have been even dumber than it really was." Well, 
No. Again, you're putting your expectations on the thing and not judging it for what it is. That's the worst thing I hate about criticism is I go to a movie like, you know, this is why I try not to read too much about it before I go in and then I kind of, and then I look at the reviews afterwards and think what people think. Like, I know what I think. What did, what did you think? I, if I, 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 walked, I mean, again, that's why my criticisms of this, again, the scene with bad CGI and the car wreck in the beginning because just too far out there. Aspects of the dialogue. And now these are things that within the scope of the movie could have been improved upon. But okay. I'm not going to sit here and complain that, oh, we had quiet moments between characters that were given appropriate backstory and gravitas to their situation. Uh, no, no, look, if you want nothing but mindless explosions and people running from one place to another with no legitimate reasoning and even worse dialogue, there's Michael Bay's filmography for you, everybody. I was going to say, please see last year's greatest movie ever, Transformers 4. Yeah, it's just, ah, that, that, that bugs me. That's not valid. That's you attempting to interpose your own values and your own expectations on it instead of you know, like you said, criticizing the finished product for what it is. Again, uh, this is not a great movie. Again, I have complaints. I mean, like, I'll, I'll, honestly, that whole tsunami thing at the end makes no sense. It should not happen. No, 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 no. Look, I, I'm not a seismologist, a geologist, any kind of ologist, all right? Well, let me get that out there. But when you have an earthquake that is near a body of water, with a significant force to trigger a tsunami, or one underwater, because that's how most of them happen, you have the, again, the energy displaced causes the waves that radiate outward from the point of origin. I'm trying to figure out how San Francisco, which would be the point of origin, would be on the receiving end of the force from the tsunami. Because it doesn't make any sense. The, the force so would be directed the entire South Pacific is in serious trouble after that earthquake because that force is going to displace a lot of water. Everything in Hawaii, say, Japan, all of that, you're in serious trouble. But I don't think I it would rebound. You know, what we're really talking about is an earthquake that, you know, the point of origin is the San Andreas fault line, which is inland. <laughs> and somehow sparking a tsunami from Again, outland. the tsunami would go outwards. It would not come towards them. Right. But, but I'm honestly, not going to... Again, that bothers me when I about talk about it. I was watching the movie. Hang on, I wasn't thinking about that while I was watching the movie. I was thinking, we're into the third act here, and you know, San Francisco just got hit with an earthquake, and okay, here's a tsunami, and it floods the building, and that's our final action set piece. And, I, I'm, you know, I'm with you there. In the movie, it's fine. They move it. They move things along well enough, and we all know that earthquakes near water or underwater can cause tsunamis if you displace enough land or enough energy through water. You get waves. I'm okay with it within the context of the movie. This is one of those things that begs you not to think about it after you leave the theater. Other elements of it, you're okay thinking about. You know, the fact that Las Vegas still get does get hit with minor earthquakes and maybe there's serious, there's, you know, minor fault lines under there. That's worth thinking about. They didn't kill the token black guy, they killed the token Asian guy to play against type. <laughs> overall, what overall what, what what would you uh what would you give this movie? What would you think of it? Oh, uh, since you're putting a gun you insisted that I remember that I gave Mad Max four stars and be prepared to rate this one similarly, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I would. My father. That... My father hated it. We had an we had a very long conversation today about how awful uh, Fury Road was. Just want, just want to point that out. Ironically enough, by contrast, my brother and I got into a deep discussion about the symbolism of, of the three villains and how that pertains to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. So. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, as far as this one, if you, I think you said uh, I had to rate Fury Road out of stars, and I gave it, what, four? I'd give this one three. Yeah. It, I don't like, you know, star ratings and whatnot, because you're dealing with so many different things. Uh, again, you're imposing a pretty sub significant, 
you know, standard across different genres. You know, what is a three-star romantic comedy of the same quality of film on the whole as a three-star thriller? You know, things like that. But I would give this one, I'd give this one a good three. If you like disaster movies, if you like, you know, watching things explode, uh, and again, you have quiet moments for the characters to kind of breathe and for us to get to know them a little bit better. All of which I was fine with. Uh, I very much appreciated that in point of fact because those are some of the more interesting parts of the movie. On the whole, I really, you know, again, I, I found this very enjoyable. I would, uh, again, the Rotten Tomatoes thing where it's either fresh or rotten, pass, fail. I'd give this a pass pretty easily. Um, I'm going to give it three stars. I actually thought there was a little too much uh, of destruction and not enough people. And I know people are like, what? But, it, but it's true. I actually got kind of numb by the end of it, where and where it was like, and, and unfortunately, you only watch a building fall so many times. And I was glad, actually, they did it with the tsunami, because at least it was a different type of action. It was a different type of destruction. Um, oh, from, but, uh, <laughs> from like a visual standpoint, it's a welcome, you know, kind of palate cleanser. That was, but that's my point. Like, I... After the city, after the, the earthquake in uh, in Los Angeles, there was nothing more I needed. To see. I didn't need to see any more buildings falling over. We got plenty of that in Los Angeles, and by the time they do it again in San Francisco, like oh Jesus, I've seen all this already. Um, you know, I needed to see other stuff. I needed to see the core erupting, fire bursting out. You know, I needed to see a volcano, you know, <laughs> erupt or something. And so I was glad that they actually did the bit with the with, with the with the uh, tsunami, but um, I just like after a while I was just like, all right, enough already. Um, well, you know, familiarity was, breeds contempt. You get desensitized to stuff the more you're exposed to it. Right. So that's been for that reason I gave it a three. But the acting was fine. But the dialogue was fine. Um, I thought oh, like everything else about not the, fine. <laughs> but everything about the movie worked. Uh, I would definitely recommend this for you know if you're into you know if you want to see. A big budget disaster movie. This one, this one, this one was definitely better than 2012. Uh, a lot of things are better than 2012. Let's go ahead and get that out I thought, there. I thought this was better than the day after tomorrow. <laughs> this was... Oh, now we're now we're getting to. I would say it's kind of comparable with the day after tomorrow. Maybe um, a little better. But again, comparable by and large. I thought. It, I thought as far as you know, structure and tone, I thought it was better than Armageddon. You know, Armageddon oh, goes yes. so over the top silly that, you know, that becomes a completely different movie. You know, you want to talk about campy. That one, that one hits the campy, uh, campy button right on the nose. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and I could talk about why I like Armageddon and why I shouldn't, but I still do. <laughs> that is a guilty pleasure of a movie if I've ever seen one. Well, um, yeah, kind of by... No, never mind. Go ahead. Sorry, that's a completely different topic. I was gonna say overall, I um, I, I don't have any major problems with it, other than like <laughs> I said, it got a little repetitive with the buildings falling. Um, but you know that's sort of the nature of the movie. Um, maybe that that's a case where maybe you, you sit back and uh, you you add a little bit more. All right, so we are we are done with May. Um, we are into June here. We've only got two movies to review in June. Uh, the first will be Jurassic Park, I believe. Well, um, yes. Yes, yeah, Jurassic. There's nobody living in West Virginia. Um, we got there are uh, people living in West Virginia. July, uh, June seventeenth at nine p.m. will be our Jurassic World uh, review. And oh, then, I have uh, a, I have a feeling I'm going to wind up tearing that movie apart. I really I don't want to. I because. I love the first Jurassic Park so much. Uh, it's one of the... I vividly remember seeing that movie in theaters. I remember where I saw it. I just have so many fond memories with that particular movie. And, you know, two and three, not so much. But and I, just, I really hope they're not going to defecate in the sleeping quarters as much as I think they're going to. <laughs> um, so anyway... We got uh, Jurassic World on Wednesday, the 17th of June. And then uh, Inside Out, our Pixar movie of the year, 
uh, on the twenty fourth. And we wait. Are we not reviewing the good dinosaur? What? Uh, don't they have another one coming out this year called the Good Dinosaur, or, am I, or is that next year? Oh, wasn't on wasn't eh, on the list. I'll find out later. I'll find out later. Uh, no, I, Inside Out will be fun. I God, I hope so. I I have nothing but faith in Pixar. They've only made one bad movie. Well, I've, heard, I've heard nothing but good things about Inside Out, so we'll see what happens. Um, I'll be taking my daughter to that one. We have a daddy daughter date planned for that. So the seventeenth Jurassic World, the twenty fourth. Uh, inside Out, then we take a break for a week, and then we come back on the 8th for Terminator Genesis. Oh, man. Genesis. Why? Oh, hey, look, we're misspelling words. What is this? 19, what is this, the 90s? Don't be stupid, people. Come on. Um, after Terminator Genesis, <laughs> on the 15th, that we will be reviewing Minions. Yay. Um, on the 22nd is Ant-Man. Yeah, and, uh, I, I'm hopeful, but I can't say I'm uh, excited. And then the 29th is Pixels. Oh, God. I have punched myself in the face a few times for agreeing to do that before actually looking up a trailer. <laughs> you had to cause yourself pain, huh? It still won't be uh, as much pain as I'm going to be in watching Adam Sandler and Kevin James on screen. And that other stupid comedian. Peter Dinklage. Um, which, but. August 5th is um, Mission Impossible versus The Born Identity. Whatever it's called. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Thank you. <laughs> um, August 12th is the fantastic is is not the fantastic four. And then a, a movie loosely resembling and based on uh the intellectual property of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> and then the not um, so that's fantastic the four. Not so fantastic four. <laughs> the the roughly okay fantastic the roughly okay four. Um yeah, they're adequate okay. studio. There we go, the adequate four. Uh then Robert is going to take a take a break after after weeks upon weeks of of what I've forced him to watch. He will be needing a a break. So uh, Jed from the Casual Heroes will step in on the nineteenth, and that is actually going to be NWA week on the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network. I we will be reviewing. Uh, we will be reviewing on the Metal Hammer of Doom, the original Straight Outta Compton album, and on the nineteenth we'll be reviewing the movie, the biopic Straight Outta Compton. And then I think we're done until Peter Pan comes out. I want to do Peter Pan, and then I think after that is The Force Awakens. Uh, that sounds about right. Uh, I'll double-check that particular period of time and see if there's anything that kind of jumps out to my mind, because uh, uh, just to see if there's anything that strikes my fancy. I might try to... No, you, I want to make you see horror movies, but I know you don't like them, so I feel bad about that. Well, you don't. You can always uh, go see Paranormal Activity and uh, and make Sean go see it no. opening weekend. Do that no. one. <laughs> that franchise when, is uh, kind of dead to me. All right, list. Of, hang on, list of twenty fifteen films. Yet, yet another Rattle Broadcasting uh, meeting done live on the air. All right, hang on. on. There. All right, All right. Uh, July, August. Okay, anything else in August? No, no, no. And September. Ooh, the transporter refueled. No, thank you. Um, the the Maze Runner. No, I'm not interested. We've oh, got, a Beauty and the uh, Beast version. Yeah, oh, hey, look, Adam Beauty Sandler is in another crappy voice role in Hotel Transylvania 2. Nope. Okay, I, so I don't October. see, like, anything in September. Like, the entire month. Mm-hmm. All right, so Pan is coming out in October. So there you go. Uh, we got Adam Jones, London Has Fallen, Victor Frankenstein. With Daniel I'm kind of looking forward to that one, actually. Uh, a lot of the people involved in it I like, so... 
I'm hopeful. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you can twist. Oh them yeah, hard. Crimson Peak. That's what. That's my big. That's my big uh, October anticipated movie is Crimson Peak. But I'm a what big fan of. Oh, it's a it's a horror movie. Uh, directed by Guillermo del Toro. I'm I'm looking forward to it because the man has a good handle on horror, especially kind of the gothic tradition of What's ghost stories, and that's what that's supposed to be. It, again, it's a gothic ghost story. It's set in uh, okay. Victorian England. Find a trailer; it'll tell you what you need to know. Well, here's a here's a horror story that I'd like to that I'd like to do. Uh, Gem and the Holograms. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimensions comes out. Rock the Casbah. I'm guessing. Um, I'm gonna guess that's a that's a Clash biopic. Uh, I couldn't tell you. No, it's a comedy. Hang on. It's just a comedy. Uh, All right. No, you don't want so, it. So no. far, I'm in one movie in October that I'm willing to, that, that uh, we can both agree on, and that's Pan. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, if you really want to do Crimson Peak, uh, I'll I'll take a look at it, see if I can stomach it. If not, I may uh, I may assign that one to someone else. Eh, All right, moving you know, on. I'm interested in it, so you know, if you you know see some trailer, you know, find a couple of trailers, see if it's something you might be interested in. If not, I can always see if someone else is willing to watch it. You know, again, the opening few days, and then review it with me if you're not interested. Okay, uh, November, we've got uh, the Peanuts Spectre. movie, Spe- Spectre. I'm excited for good Spectre. The Good Dinosaur, so yes, we will be doing that one. And I think that's it, and that's fine. And then December, the only one I care about, Star Wars. That's the only though one I may, we'll be doing. Though I, though, I, though I may, because I'm a terrible human being, make, make, you, go see, make, make you go see Point Frank. You uh, no, you could put a gun to my head. I would say shoot me first. I have seen okay. the trailer for that. Look, I I have to co-opt you know, what Larry Zonka said about that after he saw the preview the uh, trailer on Twitter. If you support this, we can't be friends anymore. <laughs> okay, I only brought it up because it came up on movie fights and I had a good laugh about it. Um, all right, so the only one we're doing in December is Star Wars. Uh, as far as reviews, yeah. The other movie I actually want to see that uh, in December is In the Heart of the Sea, but other than that, it, we're not going to be reviewing that one. So, no, the only thing we're reviewing is Star Wars uh, Lens Flare. Okay. Then uh, I'm going to quick plug tomorrow night's show, and then I'm going to let you take us home. Tomorrow night, Long right. Road to Ruin, 9 o'clock. The first half of our two-part Jack Ryan series, uh, we'll be looking at The Hunt for Red October, Clear and Present Danger, and Patriot Games. And then two Patriot weeks... Games from between I, those two, if you're going chronologically. And then uh, in two weeks, we get the two shitty ones, The Sum of All Fears, and Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Actually, I don't know why I'm judging that one. I have never seen it. But The Sum of All Fears... Oof. Yeah, no, The Sum of All Fears sucks. Shadow Recruit isn't very good. Right. My opinion. Feel free to form your own after you actually watch it. But that was a franchise that peaked in the middle. Uh, Patriot yeah. Games is, I think, pretty easily the best of those. All right. So if you want to hear uh, Sean and I loud praise uh, over uh, over Alec Baldwin and Harrison Ford playing Jack Ryan, then join us tomorrow night at 9 o'clock on The Long Road to Ruin. Also, real quick, I want to give a shout to uh, Jesse, Star- Jesse Starcher for filling in for me on my birthday. Um, I, I caught the rotavirus and uh, spent most of yesterday recovering from the night before being violently ill. And I was in no shape to talk about Faith No More, an album I was, you know, not exactly enthusiastic about to begin with. So thank you, Jesse. You did a great job. Uh, Cooper, you were awesome as always. Thanks for the happy birthday shout out as well. Much appreciated. Go back in the archives. Check it. Check it out. Check out their review of uh, Faith No More, Soul Invictus. Uh, also, if you haven't had an opportunity, uh, the Casual Heroes threw some audio my way. Their interview with the former Justin Gabriel, PJ Black. Uh, that's up uh, in the archives as well. So give that a listen. Robert, take us home. 
Uh, be sure to follow the Radalich and Broadcasting Network across our various platforms, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and Stitcher. You can subscribe, you can rate us, you can leave us comments. Uh, we appreciate all of that. We do this for free because we like it, and if we get enough of you following, we might be able to, you know, put a gun to someone's head and get them to pay us for this. So, that's our hope. Uh, one of these days. So thank you to everyone for that, for continuing to you know follow and support the show, for telling your friends about it. If you know anyone who you think would be entertained by what we do here, might enjoy our insight, might have some of their own, so on and so forth, tell them. Let them know about it. Spread the good word of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. We are trying, again, trying to grow this thing, people. We want to, again, Mark doesn't want to do what he does. He wants to do this. He wants to be able to support himself and his family through, again, uh, quality on-demand audio released into the marketplace on a consistent basis. And uh, I wouldn't mind doing that either. So thank you all so very much in advance for all of that stuff. Uh, Mark plugged most of his stuff. I will very briefly plug mine. Uh, this Friday, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy is back. At this point in time, I'm pretty sure I'm spinning my uh, roulette wheel of evil actors and coming up with a name to focus on, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, unless something else strikes my fancy between now and then, and you never know, something might. Uh, this Sunday, the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, your weekly look into the wide, wacky world of a world of mixed martial arts. I will also have live coverage this Saturday of UFC Fight Night 67, Henderson versus Boach. That's old man Dan Henderson taking on Tim Boach, not Benson Henderson deciding he wants to fight at middleweight, though the man is crazy enough to do it. Uh, so tune in for that. Follow along over at 411mania.com. That's where all my coverage is. Uh, stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. That uh, makes me feel less alone. Some of these cards, I know I'm the only one watching. I just know it. Uh, so we'll be reviewing that on the Ground and Pound show. We'll also be previewing... Oh, what is it next? Hang on. Uh, sorry, 68, not 67. 68 is Henderson versus Boach. Uh, we'll be previewing UFC 188. Let me double-check the math on that. Yes, we'll be previewing UFC 188. There can only be one, not to be confused, but there can be only one. Uh, the UFC continues to pretend that Fabricio Verdum's interim title means anything. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It never... The interim heavyweight championship has meant something... Precisely once, when Andre Arlovsky had it before they stripped Frank Mir of the heavyweight title. Every other time, it's been crap. Uh, they're also going to try and sell you on Verdum having a snowball's chance in hell of beating Cain Velasquez. Uh, I'm also setting the odds at about 2.5 to 1 that this thing actually goes through. Uh, there's a pretty good chance Cain Velasquez injures something between now and then. But anyway, we'll be previewing UFC 188. Uh, man. That is a weak card. I'm actually just looking at it from top to bottom, and that's pretty weak. So, uh, all right. But anyway, we'll be previewing that. You can hear Jeff tell me why I'm wrong about the card looking weak. Uh, I will defend my position, and we'll break down all the fights on the main card and whatnot. Yeah, you know, fans of the show know what to expect, and thank you all for being fans of that show. And all the great shows here. This is a somewhat protracted exit. I apologize for that. But that's all the stuff I have to plug. That's it. So, for Mark Radulich, who recently entered his 40th year... 39. No, you turned 39. You're in your 40th year. I know the math. I know how that works. I'm 39 years old. You are, but you're in your 40th year of living. Oh, that's right. The first year doesn't count because you're zero. You're right. Sorry. Same reason that you can't have an your first anniversary is your second year of marriage. Yeah, tell that to my wife. Hey, I'm gonna hit. The, I'm gonna. I'm gonna hit the outro music. Okay, so. Yeah, go for it. That's it, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Be well, be safe, and behave.